Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today on the show, season two is finally here and the wait is over. Was it worth it? Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. My name's Abu. I'm Brett. And Brett, we're back! Yeah, it feels like it's been forever, but now that it's here, it's over in a blink. And is is season three ready yet? I think we're going to have to wait quite a bit for season three. But you're right, that's sort of the nature of the binge TV show universe that we live in now, you and I have had access to the screeners a little early and uh, we blasted through season two. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> and we've talked about this before, but the Amazon series, The Boys, the first season was drop binge and it was boom, 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 boom. But the second season was weekly and it seemed to gain so much more traction, so much more talk. Because they did it, and I know Netflix is never going to do it, but I just imagine a much easier world for us where this comes out weekly and we don't have to boom, 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 (laughs) boom, boom, watch and then record and get this stuff out. Because I'm not going to be, that's the point, you know, we've seen every episode at this point and a lot of them have kind of blended together. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it'll it'll be interesting to kind of rewatch it with the fine tooth comb, but that's a problem for another day. We're here for a grain of truth. That's right. That's right. We're going to be slowing down and taking these episodes one at a time, one per week. And today's episode, of course, is the first episode of season two, A Grain of Truth. Now, before we dive into the episode, a bit of housekeeping, Brett. Let's get this out of the way, and then we'll jump in. First and foremost, a spoiler warning. Today's episode will be spoiler-free in terms of the TV show. Like we said, we've seen the whole season, all eight episodes, but we are going to keep the discussion contained to just the first one. But fair warning, because we're huge Witcher fans, we've played the video games, we've read the books, I actually reread some of the books in preparation for season two, there will be light book spoilers and game spoilers and some speculation from the books themselves. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into more in-depth as the season goes on, but, you know, we're not not spilling too much right here, but... It really does start to divert so much that a lot of our speculation is almost meaningless because we have no idea where it's going to go based on where they're taking it already. Yeah, absolutely. So just a spoiler warning we wanted to throw out there. For the most part, this is a spoiler-free discussion if you're watching the show along with us week by week, but there will be some light book and video game speculation here or there. One other reminder is that we love to hear from our listeners. We had a lot of folks reach out to us in the first season when we covered each episode of season one, and we'd love to get your engagement this season as well. So windshowlingpodcast at gmail.com is the best place to reach us. Share your thoughts of the season. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about Witcher lore or parts of the episode that maybe 
confused you? Did it make sense to you? You want to know more of the lore info about? Email us, and we'll try to include your questions and your thoughts in future episodes. Now, as always, as we get into these episodes, the format is very similar to what we did last season. We're going to start with a quick summary, quick-ish summary (laughs) of the episode itself, kind of break it down scene by scene and share our thoughts. And then we'll dive into two sort of larger thematic key takeaways. And finally, we'll wrap up with just putting a button on our thoughts of this episode. So let's jump right in, Brett. All right. A merchant and his family arrives at a village looking for a place to stay for the night. And we've seen this kind of in the first season as a way to introduce their monster of the week or whatever you would call it. As we know, because the same thing with Nightmare of the Wolf was this way as well. Wagon traveling and you're just like, oh, no, something bad is going to happen. Something bad does happen is this. I you can only assume it's a mother, father, and a daughter. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. The mother and the father get ripped in half, and mm. yeah, the hey, Witcher's back. And cover your eyes. Welcome back, baby. After the title card, we then go to a very familiar scene. Snow is falling over the battlefield of Sodden. There are corpses littered everywhere. And Taisea is basically going from corpse to corpse to corpse, doing some sort of necromancy, which my gut tells me is probably forbidden. But what she's doing is basically looking through the final memories of these dead soldiers, trying to find any trace of Yennefer, who has disappeared after the Battle of Sodden. Yeah, how cool was that? Just the shot, how they did it. Yeah, yeah, that sort of first person view of the soldiers fighting in their final moments. The dude who got his face crushed by the horse. Oof. Yeah, and I like how they <laughs> they brought us right back to where the first season ended, and they're showing you just the carnage, because it's not just corpses and just dead bodies. Like you said, that they're mutilated, their heads are smashed in, and it's just yeah. this absolute horror. But yeah, but Tissaia is distraught. I think it's kind of, again, fair to say that she's just, it's it doesn't seem to be celebratory that, yeah, they won the day. She knows they won. But she's kind of lost Yennefer, who, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a closeness of a daughter, but it's very much her main pupil that she really cares for. And there's no sign of her. And for all intents and purposes, she has to think that she's dead. Right. Exactly. And, you know, you and I last season talked a lot about how much we loved Miana Burring's portrayal of Tysaia. And she, once again, is bringing 110% in this scene and in this season because she screams out over this battlefield, frustrated. Yennefer! And then we hear an echo of Geralt also screaming, Yennefer! And the two have a bit of a confrontation. Geralt walks up and asks where Yennefer is, and Tessia's like, uh, who are you? Who are you to Yennefer? And it's in this moment that she tells him that Yennefer won them the Battle of Sodden, but it has probably died in the process. And Henry Cavill does some incredible acting with his face here. It's heartbreaking. It's something I'm going to hit on, especially this episode, but kind of throughout the season as well, is right out of the gate here, everything has been stepped up from the special effects to me, the direction. And just like we talked about, the point of view of seeing the dead soldiers. And then Miana Burring's acting is right on Geralt, like the the non-vocal acting 
just is incredible. And you see it to where he's going around and then he's just crushed. Like he needs to know, he needs to know. And then to say it doesn't say that she's dead because she doesn't know, but it's like, yeah, she's probably dead. And he turns around and it's just, oh, okay, she's dead, but I've got Siri. And then Siri kind of asks and he's like, it doesn't matter because she's dead. And it's just, oh my God, like everything uh. just gets stepped up. But the acting is just incredible. And we're not even to what I consider the best acting of the episode yet. <laughs> so we'll get there as well. <laughs> yeah. So Siri and Geralt camp for the night after they've left Sodden, and Siri is having nightmares. And when she wakes up, Geralt and her sort of have this moment of connection. They, they talk about the nightmares that she's having, and she observes that Geralt never sleeps. What's going on there? And his, his response is sort of cheeky. He says, quote, makes for fewer nightmares, end quote. And they're basically connecting in a way where, like, yes, you've seen horrible things, I've seen horrible things. And we're starting to see that relationship that will be so core to not just this season, but the entire story of The Witcher start to form here between Geralt and Ciri. I, I wanted to ask you, Brett, because you are much more well-versed in Witcher lore, there's this joke that Geralt cracks at this moment about a nightmare he has about an overly friendly troll. Am I correct in thinking that's a reference to that one quest in The Witcher 3? Yeah, there are several of, there are several, and as soon as I heard this, it stuck out to me too. And there's a big one, again, coming from Gwent is Shoop. If, if you play Gwent, the standalone card game, the guy who busts the kegs open, that Shoop, oh, Shoop, rock, rock, all that stuff in there. There's also <laughs> Bart, which was DJ uh, Dijkstra's rock troll in The Witcher 3. He might not yeah. have been that friendly. He was kind of friendly, but uh, I kind of got this too. It's, it's, as soon as I heard that, I was thinking, oh, that, if that's Shoop, then that's perfect. <laughs> that's awesome that's a very very deep lore cut and it, it, the line stuck out to me but even I was like oh, what is that referencing it could be a couple of different things it probably references nothing but me just overthinking it and being like hey I bet it's that and they're like uh, sure you nerd <laughs> yes yes it was <laughs> yeah exactly you know what overthinking it is our MO here so pretty much I'm proud of you so Siri in this moment also reveals to Geralt what these night terrors are about. She is constantly flashing back to the sack of Sintra. It aired Tuza after calming down a seizing Triss to say a speaks with Arturius and Vilgeforce about what to do next. It involves violating the continent's version of the Geneva Convention and torturing <laughs> a prisoner. And Yikes. Arturius is against this and Vilgeforce just gives this very boss, just turn to kind of the camera so you can see like half his face. She wasn't asking your permission. <laughs> yeah, look, Vilgefortz and Tessaia are both out here for blood. And to be fair, I think Tessaia makes some good points. Like, we don't know what Nilfgaard is doing next. We don't know why they attacked Sintra. We don't have the intel we need. And this is perhaps the only way to get it. We have a prisoner. We should torture him. I'm no fan of torture, like, to be totally clear. But she is making some fair points. And obviously, her own desire to find out the truth about Yennefer plays a big role here too yes yeah, so we cut to eratusa's version of guantanamo bay <laughs> and to say <laughs> it took Jesus. me a little bit but to say is just digging her fingers into kair's skull and it, it's one of those we talk about the acting again like i said i'm gonna talk about it a lot 
But uh, Eamon Farron, I think that's how you pronounce his name, the actor who plays Kyrie, mm-hmm. he's having to just scream and react at first when she just touches him. And I just think of how many times he had to do that in this room where nothing's happening, probably at like five in the morning. <laughs> and then as to say, it just kind of has her fingers in his head. He has to just scream and almost convulse. And I'm thinking like, I really hope they did that right before they had a little bit of a break. Because if you had to do that for too many takes, his voice would be gone and just, oh, I could, yeah. I just think of that from the acting standpoint, much less just from the show. But yeah, just, I, that was the first time that I really had to like turn as her fingers are going in his head and you can hear the squishing. I'm like, okay, okay, no, that, too much for me. Yeah, I did, I did not realize her fingers actually go inside his skull. I, I wish Until I did. Rewatch. <laughs> I wish I didn't though. <laughs> <laughs> right, and now I can't get the image out of my. Yeah, mind, it would have so made it a little bit easier that. to stomach. <laughs> so speaking of prisoners, actually, we then cut to Yennefer, and we find out what happens to her. The reality is that Yennefer has been captured by the Nilfgaardians, specifically by Fringilla, and Fringilla, having lost this battle of Sodden and disappointed her emperor, plans to basically use Yennefer as a bargaining chip to take Yennefer back to the emperor as part apology and part bid for his appreciation. Not everything was lost. Look, I've brought you a powerful sorceress with info. As Geralt and Ciri continue their travels and we learn that they're headed to Kaer Morhen and Ciri wonders why she'd never heard of it and Geralt basically says, well, we'd like to keep it that way. Oh, and it was also basically wiped off the map going back to Nightmare of the Wolf. So, hey, WCU Synergy here, the Witcher Cinematic Universe, playing into it. <laughs> oh, my God, WCU. Yeah. You've coined it. Yep. It's official now. Very original, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the folks that haven't watched Nightmare of the Wolf, it's this anime prequel movie that came out earlier in the year. It shows us the attack on Kaer Morin. So if you want to learn more about that, we recommend checking that film out. Siri also asks a question here that we're going to touch on later in our takeaways, but it's basically a key theme of this episode. She asks, quote, were you attacked because you're different? End quote. And she's asking about that attack on Kaer Morin and the witchers sort of being ostracized in society. We talked a lot about that in season one. But the whole theme, like you said, it's a key theme of this episode. It's a key theme of the books. And it seems to be a key theme of the show is the whole being different. We see the way... Elves were treated last season. We see just everything. Yen as a hunchback going into that or just people have mages. Oh, I don't like you because you have magic. Oh, I don't like you because you don't have magic. I don't like you because you have pointy ears, blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff. And then, yeah, it's pretty much, if you haven't seen Nightmare of the Wolf, but you've only seen this episode, go watch it because you're going to want to as it's going to really play into the witchers and everything in there. So that's just, it's what, 80 some odd minutes. Right. So, yeah, if for, if for some reason you haven't watched it, please go after the podcast, though. Listen to this first all the way through and then go watch yes. it. Yes. <laughs> then go watch it and then go watch our deep dive breakdown of that podcast. Go listen to that episode. There you go. There's the rest of your afternoon evening planned. <laughs> so Geralt and Siri in the next scene come upon this manor near the abandoned village that we saw in the stinger at the top of the episode. And they are... Greeted slash attacked by this boar-headed monstrosity of a man who we obviously know is Nivellen slash Nivellen, based on how you pronounce that. And we learn that he is an old friend of the Witcher. Nivellen invites them into his manor and gives them respite from the storm, the snow, snowstorm raging outside. 
Yeah, and there's a couple initial changes here that come from the short story. And the first one, very inconsequential, is when this happens, Nivellin doesn't actually attack Geralt. He kind of just tries to spook him by being all big and strong. And Geralt's just like, yeah, you're not that big. I fought a lot bigger. <laughs> and then a bigger one, much more consequential, is in the short story, they don't know each Well, we first should obviously say Siri is not there in the short story. Right. At all. Like, he doesn't, she doesn't exist at this point, if I remember that correctly. And so they don't know each other there, and they are old friends here. And that was a very interesting change that at first I was like, okay, maybe it won't matter, but what'd you think of that? My initial reaction at first was, uh-oh, how are they going to play this? At first, I was a little nervous. By the time we got to the end of the episode, brilliant change. I loved it. Yeah, everything really did pull together. And I remember when I first saw Stills, and I get his name, Christoph Hidgeview. Is that how you say Hidgeview? Oh, boy. Hidgeview? I'm not the person to ask about European names. Yeah. <laughs> Christoph. I, I said it Hoyview before, and then I've heard everyone say like Hidgeview or something like that. But yeah, that, at first when I saw the stills and I heard him, I just was like, man, this this is just not really working for me because it was it was just it was so hard to get him away from Torment. It's the actor who plays Torment in Game of Thrones. And even here, I'm just like, oh, OK, they're doing this old friend thing and they're kind of putting in, oh, oh, you old horse. And, oh, they know each other. It, it just it didn't really jive for me at first, but it definitely grew on me. Yeah, he he was easily my favorite part of this episode so siri is taking this bath unfortunately a dress randomly appears on the chair next to the bath for siri to wear and the camera slowly pans up to a crack in the ceiling and we see a pair of eyes looking down on her so she might not be as safe as we are led to believe no no it's, it's just a cat don't worry about it <laughs> right just a cat just a cat named Arena. <laughs> yeah, and a grain of truth is heavily influenced, if you will, by Beauty and the Beast, but especially this episode by the 1991 Beauty and the Beast, or you can say the Disney Beauty and the Beast, as what he's wearing is very like 18th century, and yeah. he looks exactly what he's wearing, uh, what the Beast was wearing when he turned into a prince, and he's got this magical house, and and even at times here, Siri kind of plays into this kind of bell aspect where she's just wonder. By this, or in wonder by this, but he is much nicer than the Beast was at first. I will say that he's a much better host, for sure, much better host. And in fact, in the next scene, he is hosting dinner, and with a swish of his hands, plates and food fall from the sky. And it's it's I loved the scene. This was like such a cute little scene where Novellan shares this story of how he and Geralt first met all those years ago. It's a very bro moment where he, he helps out <laughs> him for, for no reason other than it. But then he's like, well, I got paid the same. So he try, he, he try, he's trying to be like, oh, I'm, I'm not that soft. You know, like, I don't care. I'm all about that coin. But it's very much as Siri looks at him like, oh, okay, you big softy. Right, right. He is a big softy. Novellan says that too. The conversation then, unfortunately, turns to a darker topic because Carol's like, hey, what's with your face? <laughs> like, tell us about this curse. And Novellan shares that at one point he fell in with a bad lot and he trashed the temple of the lion-headed spider. And one of the priestesses of the temple cursed him to live as a beast and to live out the rest of his life alone in this manner. And it gets even darker because Novellan then alludes to the fact that he has tried to 
kill himself, but because of this curse, he always comes back. He is cursed to be immortal, to be a beast, and to live alone in this manner. Pretty dark stuff. Yeah, and they leave out one part that was in the books that it comes back at the end that I will definitely ask you about there. And it was something I didn't think that they would actually put in. But again, we'll we'll cover that towards the end. For sure. This Temple of the Lion-Headed Spider, I kind of hope they get into a little bit more because it's a one-off thrown away line in the books. But it's basically this cult that's been banned throughout the kingdoms in some places. It's cannibalistic. They kind of have to just be out in the wilderness in the wild. So I can just imagine people lost in a storm coming upon these caves and these temples and being like, well, you're about to be sacrificed and about to be eaten. So stuff like that, I think, is really cool that if they can throw in just, you know, they obviously don't have a lot of time to work with. And so they're probably not going to do it. But I'd like to see more of them just from a creepy aspect, because this episode showed they can do horror and creepy really well. Really well. And and tension really well. The entire time you're like, Novellan's hiding something. What is it? And the whole episode is this very long, drawn out tension building moment between Novellan and Carrollton Siri. It's so well done. I love this episode. Moving on, after dinner, they discuss why the village nearby has been abandoned. Speaking of tension and Novellan being shady, he dodges some of the questions here. Carol's like, why is everybody gone? What's going on here? We do get our first mention of something called the Wild Hunt, and Novellan says, oh, yeah, that's why everybody in that village left town. There have been rumors that the Wild Hunt has been spotted riding over the horizon in the past couple of weeks. Siri at this moment also mentions that her grandfather saw the hunt before Sintra fell. Yeah, and she calls it the Moorhog, so she uses a different name, Moorhog, Moorhog, I don't know. Okay. It's one of those in the way that she pronounces it. <laughs> so we kind of get that it's, oh, it's not just something in this, it's in the other language. And depending on, they haven't really said her backstory, but you know, from the books, we know a lot of her backstory was spent in Skellige. And I don't think that was as much in this, but we're kind of just seeing that this wild hunt is not just something that is repeated in one part, that it is kind of worldwide, if you are continental-wide, I should say. Right, right. And and seemingly an omen of bad things to come. Yeah, spectral riders in the sky. It's never, it's not an omen, it's not something good. <laughs> hey, hey, the rain's coming. These skeletal riders are here to steal people. <laughs> right, right, right. So they hear something in the ceiling and Novellan tries to be like, ah, it's just a cat. I have a cat. Don't worry about it. But both Siri and Geralt are obviously very suspicious. So Geralt decides he's going to do a little perimeter check just to make sure they're all safe. Yeah, cats are supposed to be afraid of witchers <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's supposed to be alone. So they're, they're taking that very literal. But yeah, Nivellin is very much, as soon as they ask these questions, it's cartoony. The eyes dart back and forth. Oh! Time for bed or something along those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. So back to Yennefer and Fringilla as they dig at each other and attempt to get the other to realize, no, you are wrong and you are a pawn, <laughs> not me. My side will certainly take me back. And again, we'll, we'll cover it more at the end, but I just, I like that they're not only just setting the stage, but we're getting that both of them are in trouble, that Yennefer is a prisoner, but Fringilla, who may be detaining her as a prisoner, she might not be walking back to anything good at Sintra or Nilfgaard or wherever she's going. Yeah. Neither of them is really in like a great position here. And you can almost sense the desperation in their jabs back and forth. Like, no, they'll, 
the Brotherhood will take me back, so what if I used fire magic? Oh, Amir will totally take me back. I'm bringing him a prized prisoner. You can sense the insecurities as they try to get at each other. I do want to call out this absolutely iconic line in this scene. They're sitting around a campfire eating like a pathetic meal, and Yen says, quote, at least conjure me up some decent food before we get to shit guard, end quote. Amazing. I audibly laughed out loud when that came out when she said shit guard <laughs> because it's so yeah. childish and it's not something I'll admit. It seems almost a little bit out of character <laughs> for Yen to make something like childish like that. But it was it was just really funny just to hear shit guard <laughs> like, oh, sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> Sick burn. Got him. You got him, Yen. I will be stealing that from now on whenever I want to disparage <laughs> the great son. Absolutely. Same here. All right. Back to the A plot. Back at the manor, Novellan and Siri are having a moment together. And I'm not going to say too much about this moment in the summary because one of our takeaways later is taking apart this scene sort of line by line, moment by moment, because there's a lot in this scene to talk about. It's very dense. And it's a crucial scene in this episode, and I loved it. But in short, Novellan is telling Siri this story about an elven warrior and her human mage lover. Book readers may recognize this as very similar to the tale of Lara Dorn and Kragen of Vlad, is I think how I'm saying that. Siri and Novellan also talk about loneliness and Novellan shares that he thinks he's unworthy of absolution, revealing that he killed the servants in the manor when he first became a monster. Again, there's a lot of great themes and quotes to unpack here, so put a pin in this scene. We're going to revisit it later in one of our takeaways. So after Siri goes to bed, Novellan entertains... See, there I go again, Novellan Nivellan. So I'm, I'm catching my own <laughs> self here. After Siri goes to bed, Novellan entertains Geralt with a knife-throwing drinking game. And he is very excited for this drinking game. And I like drinking games as well, but I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to do it with knife throwing. That seems really dumb. Risky. Well, yeah. Why throw knives? Like, I'm from Texas. We'll just shoot something, right? Isn't that much safer? <laughs> just aim, pull. You know, you don't got to, like, throw anything and cut my hand. <laughs> but I'll oh, see. Oh, no. Yeah. Brett, your Texan is showing. Yeah. It's as if it doesn't come out anyway. <laughs> call, yeah. Out of this medieval truth or dare, we mainly get exposition about the law of surprise. And there was a lot of exposition from this episode. Very much a catch people up in case they didn't rewatch season one. And clearly by now that Nivellin is hiding something, which if for some reason you didn't pick up on that, you are, I would love to watch a show that you're watching because it's been very, <laughs> it's been very telegraphed that he's got something to hide. Just exactly what is it? I loved his use of the magical knives here to cheat too. Geralt seemed to be shocked that he wasn't hitting those targets. I'm like, Geralt, how could you not notice that something's up? You're nowhere near that head. <laughs> like what? You haven't even drank anything yet, so uh, right, part right. of me kind of thought maybe he was playing along at first. Like, he throws the first one as like, okay, something's not right, and then, you know, Nivellin hits it right on there. So I'm thinking even by the second, especially after that, I think he's playing into trying to unpack what N Nivellin's doing, you know? Oh, absolutely. I got the same exact vibes. Like, the first knife was a surprise for him because he thought he was going to hit it, mm -hmm. and then he was like, okay, well... Novellan is clearly cheating. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> Why is he cheating? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right. 
let's wrap up this episode. We have a couple more key scenes to go. Things are about to get hectic and we're, we're in the climax now. So in the next scene, Siri is going to bed and uh, gets a nighttime visitor. We finally see who those pair of eyes belong to and it's Verena. And uh, yeah, no, not a cat. Definitely some sort of monster. She crawls out of the ceiling, crawls right up to Siri's bed and speaks to Siri telepathically. And they share a conversation where Verena tells Siri, hey, you're like me. You're different. There is something different about you. And there again is that theme of being different that came up from earlier. And Verena also warns Siri against traveling with Geralt. Don't travel with that man who kills things, who kills monsters. Verena here also drops very much a thesis statement for this episode and honestly the series at large. She says, quote, are you a monster because you are different? End quote. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. That is such a core theme to this universe. What makes a monster? How do we define who is and who is not a monster? What, what sets those things apart? So I'm, I'm not sure I've mentioned it, so you might have to play it back. But have I have we talked about how good the acting is this episode? <laughs> okay. It, okay. If we have I think maybe once. Maybe once. Once okay. or twice. <laughs> so I believe the actor's name is Agnes Bjorn, who plays Verena. And oh, my God. When she crawls oh out, of the, out of that hole, major ring vibes. Again, that movie, that movie came out when I was 18. It's still a great movie. It's very Hitchcockian, as I do a little plug here for the ring from almost 20 years ago, like 19 <laughs> years ago. It's a great movie, very suspenseful, very creepy, not jump scare, really. And so as she's on Siri's bed, how the herky-jerky motions that had to be sped up, her eyes just seem abnormally big, not just like the pupils or the irises or whatever, but like actually on her head just seems so big. And the clicking sounds, oh, it, it, I'm telling you, it's, where I was watching it, I was kind of just pulling up just like my legs because it was so disarming and uncomfortable. And again, it goes back to this is this is good, like horror. This is good terror to me. And it shows what they can do because we know, you know, we're not spoiling anything. Now, this is a Bruxa. This is a vampire. Yeah. And just at the time, I'm thinking, I know nothing's going to happen to Siri, but you're still just, it's so unnerving. That whole scene was just so unnerving and my heart rate was going. It was just, it's amazing. The, the episode is just so damn good. And the MVP of it to me is Verena. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Let, let's talk about this Bruxa fight because that's what happens next. Geralt has done his Witcher snooping and come to the conclusion that there is a Bruxa in the house. And he tells Siri, go, go outside, get to Roach. We got to get out of here. And he basically has this confrontation with the Bruxa. He barges in on Nivellen, who's fast asleep, and the Bruxa is like sucking his blood from his neck at that very moment. A fight scene ensues that makes eventually makes its way out into the courtyard because of a ard through the window. Again, I got to shout out my Witcher signs. Love to see it. And the scene basically concludes with Nivellen appearing and impaling Verena through the stomach. And Verena here in sort of this very final act of uh, you are my lover or nobody's turns around like her neck turns, her body bones crack, pulls herself up along this spear and is about to bite into Nivellen's neck and kill him. 
But at that very moment, shink, Geralt beheads her. And the head of Arena rolls over into the snow, looks up at Ciri, and whispers the words, he'll come for you too. Ooh, chills. What, a, what an incredible sequence. What a great, like, monster fight in this first episode. Yeah, and it was really that last thing that Verena said to Siri. Again, it's a show creation because, again, Siri wasn't there in the books. It reminds me of the first episode with Renfrey, where when Renfrey dies, she gives this warning to Geralt and kind of wonder with Siri, okay, is this going to stick with her when she's kind of laid into this? You're different. This guy's a monster hunter. You know, he's going to come and this, he's going to come for you too. Again, just. The, the creepiness factor is just off the chart for me. And when that happened, just my eyes went wide and I'm like, oh, God, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what ground are they laying there? Yeah. At the very least, in this moment, in this first episode, it's sowing some doubt within Siri about whether or not she should even trust Geralt. Again, he is just this person that she is destined to be with and that's all she knows. She really has no reason to trust him. So a little bit of doubt being implanted in her here. Yeah, and a, and a big thing, too, is she trusted Verena. Yeah. And she, Geralt's like, get away from her, get away from her. She's like, no, she's all right. And then Verena basically takes her hostage. And for all <laughs> intents and purposes, she might have killed Ciri before Nivellin impaled her. You know, like, we don't know really what would have happened there. Yeah, true. There was this trust between Verena and Ciri. There was also trust between... Nivellen and Verena too, because she wasn't sucking his blood without his permission. It turns out that the two were genuinely in love with each other. And because of Verena's death, it lifts the curse that's on Nivellen. True love is the catalyst that lifts this curse. And Christoph Hoyview, or however we're saying his name, we're so sorry, Christoph, he falls to his knees and he's upset. He's like, it's all wrong. This is all wrong. And this is the moment where we learn a fact that was in the book that we as book readers have known this whole time. Novellan reveals that the priestess that cursed him to live as this beast alone in this manner was also the priestess that he raped back when he fell in with that bad crowd and sacked this temple. And this is a moment where Geralt and Ciri absolutely turn against Nivellen, and he begs, he begs Geralt, please turn your sword on me next, end this. And Geralt's like, you're mortal now, dude, the curse is gone, end yourself. And Ciri and Geralt walk away. It's a powerful scene. Yeah, and when I mentioned the best acting earlier, as good as Verena was, this to me, when Kristoff goes down and he screams that no, like, it's all wrong. Oh my God. Like, yeah, oh, that was so incredible. Good. More than anything that has happened in the show, was I not as impacted as him right there screaming in that just despair because, yeah, oh, the curse is lifted. Well, yeah, but he just killed someone he cared for and his whole world is now changed and he has to live with that on top of it. And then he reveals what he actually did to be cursed, that it wasn't just tearing apart this temple and just oh my god like it's at this point watching this episode I, I just was like okay this show has gotten to another level it's showing what it is capable of and it's just absolutely it's just amazing it's just absolutely wonderful 
the way he did that scene. I fully agree. This was the moment in the episode where I was like, oh, shit, they did it. They're nailing it. Because, you know, throughout the episode, I'm a little skeptical. I'm like, okay, some Novellan changes. We're introducing some new stuff. You know, let's wait to see how this plays out. And then we get to this climactic scene. And this scene is very accurate to what happens in the book. The impaling is all true. The beheading of Verena is all true. That is almost exactly how it takes place in the book as well. And just, again, Kristoff's acting in this final scene. I totally agree with you. This is where I was 100% sold on this episode. Just they went above and beyond. Such a great episode. So a big change from the ending of the short story to this was in the short story, Geralt and Nivellen are kind of cool with each other. And as opposed to this, where Nivellen is still just in utter despair and Geralt and Ciri just leave like, look, do whatever you want. We don't want anything to do with you. And I like this so much better. So many people are going to be like, oh, it's changed from the books. Oh, the books was better. This is the first case that I can really think of where it is so much better than the short story. Because I never really liked the short story that much because of the ending. Like, what this guy did was horribly wrong. It doesn't matter that they did it to this cult and this, oh, these were bad people they did. Him and his group, like, gang, you know, assaulted this priestess who then killed herself before cursing them, or killed herself, cursed them before killing herself. And... For it to end that way that it did in the short story, I just was like, it's not kind of leaving a bad taste in my mouth. And this to me seems more indicative of the world they're going for, where not that, oh, everything's bad, but actions have consequences and maybe some things might just be unforgivable. Yeah, absolutely. That's the perfect way to put it. And I could not agree with you more. This was, in my view, a better version of an ending to this story. Because, yeah, like what he did is what makes him a monster. I'm going to talk about this later on in one of the takeaways, but he isn't a monster because of his tusks or even because he killed his servants, which is also a terrible thing to do. But he is a monster because of the actions he took as a human, not the actions he took as a monster. And again, that's such a central theme in this episode and within the larger Witcher universe. But here, this change... I think is objectively better than the way this, the short story ended. I think Novellan needs to, like you said, live with the consequences of his actions. Yeah, and it showed that, that they very easily can change certain things and, like you said, to me, just make them better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's finish off this summary. A couple more scenes to go. Next, we join Geralt and Ciri, who are camping out in the forest again. Geralt takes this moment to chide Siri a little bit for not following his orders. He told her to get on Roach and get out of there, and she didn't. Siri here sort of opens up to Geralt. She shares her fear that it's because of her that people around her keep dying. Death and destruction is basically all she has seen for the past <laughs> couple of years, and uh, it's starting to obviously affect her. And she also mentions that she sometimes feels like she could burn the world, which is a very scary thing for your surrogate daughter to say to you. (laughs) I'd be like, fuck, I don't know how to handle this. But I think the way Geralt handles this situation is admirable, and he offers advice and comfort here. He says, quote, fear is an illness. If you catch it and leave it untreated, it could consume you. 
Facing your fears is not easy, but I am here for you. I won't let anything happen to you. End quote. And I loved that. I loved this moment of of parenting where at first he sort of yells at her, and then it turns into a moment where they connect and open up with each other. So let's wrap up the summary. The final scene of this episode. We are back with Fringilla and Yen and the Nilfgaardians, and they're sort of, again, camping for the night, minding their own business, when suddenly they are attacked by an unknown enemy. People are getting impaled all over the place, and then we just cut to black, and we don't know who has captured Fringilla and Yen in this moment. That's TBD for episode two. Roll credits. Okay, so with the episode summary out of the way, we're going to take a short break. But don't go anywhere, because when we get back, we're going to dive into our key takeaways from episode one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Welcome back, folks. Let's get into our two key takeaways from today. So the first key takeaway that we have is Fringilla and Yennefer. Their discussions hinge on choice and destiny in their own right. And we're going to kind of have to tiptoe dance around it because their story obviously is ongoing. You know, like the other ones kind of wraps up into a nice little bow. But Fringilla mentions Eratusa not giving them a choice in where they serve. Yennefer says that she is just a pawn to get what Emir is after. And what I kind of got out of this was, in the broad sense of destiny within the show, which is hit upon over and over, Frangilla means to make her own. Yeah. And then Yennefer's attempts to convince Frangilla to turn against Nilfgaard and rejoin the Brotherhood could just be self-preservation. She's a prisoner, and Frangilla has all but said, yeah, I'm offering you up for them to be beheaded. And so everyone's after something and will seemingly use others to get it. That's kind of, to me, a key takeaway from mages in general, is when are they ever really doing something of their own volition for their own sake? What do you think about that? No, I I totally agree that we talked a lot in season one about Yen fighting against the Brotherhood and her time at Eratusa because she lost this agency, right? She was very young. She made this choice to accept magic and become quote-unquote traditionally beautiful but never have children and now she's regretting that and i think that is sort of a storyline for a lot of the mages like i i am actually finding myself softening towards frangilla even though she is you know quote-unquote on the bad side i'm finding myself being like oh she is also trying to survive out here right she also answers to someone and she didn't really have a choice if you recall back in season one, Frangilla was just assigned to Nilfgaard, right? 
Like she just ended up there. Ultimately, yeah, I don't think either Yen or Frangilla had agency in the ways their lives played out. And I think what's interesting is Yen is sort of pushing Frangilla in this episode to think on her own, right? Like maybe you should have an independent damn thought for once in your life. Like do what's best for you. Like fuck everyone else. Yen has been rebellious in adulthood while Frangilla is seemingly still trying to play into those power structures and the things that she knows and has been trained to do. I guess it comes down to also if you believe that Frangilla is a true believer because she's spouting off the white flame, Emir, yeah. all of this, we're liberating, we're not conquering. They're using that terminology, which all conquerors use. <laughs> to, to, again, to justify, like, no, 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 don't worry about this. We're, we're liberating you from all this. And so, because the big thing with the Brotherhood is they put these mages to advise kings, in other words, to turn them to benefit the Brotherhood. Now, of course, they then say, well, no, we're here for peace. And so that's just kind of what it is. I think Frangilla just might be, you know what, this is all a mess up here. With Nilfgaard, I can not only have power and influence, but there is an order to them conquering. But again, I could just be giving her too much credit. Yeah, totally. I I think like our sort of discussion here about the larger way these mages both operate in this universe and are treated in this universe is that one quote that stuck out to me in this episode where it cuts back for a very short scene to the forest and Frangilla is on her horse and she says something along the lines of, if I get off this horse, my men will eat it. (laughs) And, And then Yen responds, oh yeah, horses, whores, and mages. We're only useful up to a point until we're thrown away. And I think both, uh, I don't know if you sort of got the vibe here as well, but I think both Yen and Frangilla feel this. Like Yen is obviously more outwardly vocal and against the Brotherhood, but I don't think Frangilla is out here thanking the Brotherhood for assigning her to Nilfgaard. And what do you, what do you think? Like is Frangilla, has she basically drunk the Kool-Aid? I don't know. It's, I do like that they showed here though, that while they're on opposite sides at this point, they're kind of in the same bucket. <laughs> and especially at the end of the episode where all the soldiers around them are killed, they're literally kind of together. So it will be fun to see from now on as they're together, as looks to be both kind of prisoners, what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if we have mentioned this yet, but this is a show only creation, by the way. This is not a plot line that happens in the books. Because in the books, we are mostly with Siri and Geralt at Kermoran, and we don't actually know what Yen is up to during these years. So this this is entirely show created. It's amazing how much bigger of a character Frangilla is in the show than in the books. She is minor, like very minor. And she is one of the main secondary characters, if not the most main secondary characters, given her screen time. So again, it's a lot of show created stuff, but is interesting and does allow an expansion of information and uh, I, I enjoy it because both of them, yeah. both of the actors are just a great, you know, off each other there. Again, everything has just come up. Everyone's so much better in this first episode alone from the first season. Yeah, it, it'll be fun to see how this plays out. I agree that Yen and Frangilla play off of each other so well because of their shared history, but the very different paths that their lives have taken. All right, let's move on to our second key takeaway In this one, I wanted to talk about something we've sort of touched on already throughout the summary, but dig a little deeper, this core theme of what makes a monster. 
this question of is being different the same as being a monster or being labeled a monster? It's so central to so many of our characters' lives. Geralt, as we've talked about, witchers in general, and Geralt himself has been ostracized. And it's an idea that Siri is starting to explore. And it's an idea that this episode and this season is seemingly digging deeper into as well. So the scene that I wanted to dig a bit deeper in and that I think really encapsulates this is that very intimate sort of slow scene between Siri and Novellin where he is telling her that story of the elf and the human lovers. So in this scene, Siri talks about the fall of Sintra and how she wishes that she could go back in time and change things and do things differently. And I loved Novellin's response. He says, quote, can I come with you? I have a few things I should like to change myself. End quote. I think this is a powerful moment. And it's an eye-opening moment for Siri, where she maybe realizes that everyone has regrets. Everyone has things in their past that they wish could be different. Even boar-headed monsters like Novellin. Then the conversation moves on to the topic of loneliness, and Novellin reveals that loneliness is the thing that, quote, eats you alive. And when Siri asks him, well, have you tried to cure the curse? Have you tried to lift it yourself? He reveals that he has, over the years, tried to woo many women and fall in love with them and get that, like, fairy tale kiss, right? He's hoping that there might be a grain of truth in all of those fairy tales about true love and true love's first kiss. I, I want to call out here, Brett, that this is where we get grain of truth also. The show loves to throw the short story titles into the dialogue. And I was like, yeah. yo, he said it. He said the line. <laughs> right. It, it was me in that Leonardo DiCaprio meme, like pointing, that's that's the thing. He said it. See, mine, I do the Simpsons one, the say the line, Bart. And then they say, yay. <laughs> That's the mind. So I had to say the line, the villain, and then just the picture of the villain, a grain of truth. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I will say this is actually accurate to the books. I'm glad they included this. In the books, Novellin tells Geralt about how he has spent many years sort of showering women with riches and affection in order to find love, to break this curse with true love. And obviously the Beauty and the Beast parallels are very obvious here. So this scene then continues, and Novellin tells Ciri about how he killed all those servants on the day he turned into a monster. And he says that he doesn't think he's worthy of redemption. Quote, I deserve my destiny, is what he tells her. Again, using that word destiny, such, a, <laughs> such an important word in the Witcher universe. And it's in this moment that Oh, I love this part. Siri tells him that she doesn't think he meant to kill those people. And what I want to call out here is this to me is also a little bit of Siri's own guilt speaking. Because if you can recall all the way back in season one, there was that moment where her powers activated, she screamed, and we learned that she killed those boys that were after her. So she too has had a moment where she accidentally killed people and didn't mean to. So she's, again, another moment of connection, seeing a bit of herself in Novellin. Yeah, and going just the whole redemption thing and this 
I might get in the weeds here a little bit, but I'll try to draw it together. Well, it goes, <laughs> Go it, it. <laughs> it goes back to, oh, this person did horrible things. Oh, but they were really nice to me. They don't seem like a monster to me. And we see that modern day now when you have people accused of, say, like sexual assaults or all this other stuff of like harassment. And a big thing, especially after World War II, a lot of Nazi war criminals got away and they reintegrated under false aliases in society. And you had up to where the 70s, 80s, into the 90s, where this 80, 90-year-old man, 70, 80, 90-year-old man, they're just like, oh, yeah, we've identified it. This was a concentration camp guard. This guy was responsible for murdering like hundreds of people. And then all the neighbors like, oh, man, he was just the kindest, sweetest person. I can't believe that they were capable of that. And it kind of just goes into that, what was called at Adolf Eichmann's trial, a banality of evil. And maybe Novellin isn't evil now. He seems really nice. Right. But again, oh, I fell in with this bad lot and we went around mass raping, murdering. Like, it's just like, okay, you might not be that way now, but what you did in the past can't be forgotten. And in a way, it's not up to Geralt and Siri to really forgive him because he didn't wrong them. It's the victims that he had. And it's just this, you can't fully redeem yourself, if you will, for what you've done in the past, because you can't change it. Right. And again, linking that back to our core theme here, we're sort of picking away at this idea, like what defines a monster? What makes a monster? And even in this scene, this is again, before Siri and Geralt know about the truth of what happened to the priestess, she turns to Novellin and says, quote, you don't seem like a monster to me. And even through the big boar mask, Kristoff is somehow acting amazingly. You can see it affect him. You can see Novellin kind of softened by that. And his response is so fucking good. I love it. He says, quote, I appreciate that, my dear. Monsters are more than just horrid looks and claws and teeth. Monsters are born of deeds done. Unforgivable ones. End quote. And obviously knowing what we know by the end of the episode and unforgivable deeds, we maybe understand why Novellin thinks he's not worthy of redemption. He has done unforgivable deeds. He was a monster long before the curse. And to tie it back to, again, the, the first episode with Renfrey, these are, in a way, the two best monsters they've done. Yeah. Like the Striga, all this other stuff, these monsters that we think of in general, Leshens and all this other, you know, crazy crap, those just don't interest me. These are the monsters that interest me because of the human element of it. And Novellin, like we talked about, oh, we're kind of torn at the end where, oh, it's lifted. He seems like a good guy. Oh, but oh my God, he did all that shit. Renfrey's the same way. We've gotten to know Renfrey from an angle, but what she's done in the past, can you let that go? Should you let that go? Someone who's responsible for murders of dozen people. And that's just what I, that's what to me, what the Witcher is. That's the monsters that Geralt has to deal with. It's not the ones where he has to pull out a silver sword and pirouette. And we know that he's going to kill them. And he's going to dump their head out and get his coin. That interests me basically zero. Every time that happens in this show, I'm like, okay, let's get it over. Maybe it'll be cool to watch and they can do something, you know, like that will interest me. I've got no interest in that. It's these right here where I'm left thinking, what the hell am I, how the hell am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to think? And even, even, even now, as I've watched it a couple of times and we've discussed it, 
I'm still not like, okay, well, this is the way to do it. Or this is the way to think. It's still up in the air. Right, right. And that's, at least for me, what I love so much about the Witcher universe. It's almost cliche to say it now, but it's that that morally gray space that these stories explore. All right, so those are our takeaways from today's episode, some big themes that are being touched on already this season. But let's wrap up. Brett, big picture-wise, looking back on this episode, now having watched it and rewatched it a couple of times, what did you think? Episode one, season two. How, do, how are we starting things off this season? Terrible. <laughs> no, I did uh, head, uh, again, if you've made it all the way through this episode, you know how I feel about it. It is head and shoulders above the first season. That's not to knock the first season. That's just to say how good this is. And there's no real advancement of Geralt and series travel. Fringilla and Yen, basically, there's not much there either, except they're kind of taken captive. Even from the mages, okay, they got some information. Oh, they're kind of doing this. We see a little bit, but not much really moved forward. Obviously, the characterization did, and that's what matters. I should say that. It moved forward in the characterization, not the actual journeys or action or anything like that. But this showed what I want from the show and what they can do. They're adapting it to their own thing, but they're keeping the feel of The Witcher. And this felt the most like The Witcher that it has. And I know I've talked ad nauseum about stuff I'd like to see in the second season that I didn't see from the first. This basically hit all of them. I'm struggling to honestly find something about this episode that I actually had a bone to pick with. Like there's, you know, little things to do that, but there's nothing as again, as I've watched it and done everything, there's nothing that sticks out that I'm just like, oh man, I, I wish they had done this differently. It was incredible and as good as I think as good as the show can get. I couldn't agree more. You, you basically took the words right out of my mouth like this was an absolute 10 out of 10 banger episode. And it is exactly, as a Witcher superfan, exactly what I want from an adaptation. There were tweaks made to the original material that were necessary, that made sense, that were consistent with the lore in the universe, and in many ways improved upon the original. Those are all very tough boxes to check, and in a miracle of an episode, I think this episode checked every single one of those boxes. It was just classic Witcher. Everything that I love about this universe, the intimate character moments, that conversation between Siri and Novellan that I broke down in the takeaway. So good. This exploration of morality. We've talked back and forth about Novellan. Do we like him? Is he a redeemable character? Did he do things that are unforgivable? All of these questions that the Witcher stories, the books, the games bring up, we got in this episode. So I loved it. I think this was an absolutely stunning way to start off the season. The bar has been raised, and we'll just have to see if the rest of the season lives up. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because as I watched it at the end, I was thinking like, man, this the bar has been raised. And even <laughs> yeah. at the time, it just felt like, dang, dang. They can't keep this up. Like, this is just too good. And yeah, we'll see if they do. Yeah, a little bit of foreshadowing here. Episode two, baby. (laughs) 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 Well, Abu, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling. They're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. 
So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on the path.